Money Talk is hosted by Annex Wealth Management, a registered investment advisor. Important information about the qualifications and business practices of Annex to be considered before becoming a client of Annex is available at AnnexWealth.com. Securities are offered through HBEC Incorporated, member FINRA and SIPC. Annex Wealth Management and HBEC are unaffiliated. This program may contain forward-looking statements which may not come true. Please consult with an advisor about your specific situation. Taking the mystery out of investing with answers to your financial questions. This is Money Talk with Dave Spano and Mark Oswald from Annex Wealth Management. On WGMJ. And we're on the air for Saturday. It's April 7th. My name is Danny Clayton. Derek Felsky, good morning. Good to have you here. Good morning, Danny. Dave Spano, um, you were off, you were off for a little bit. Do you stay plugged in to do you, you watch everything that's going on oh sure yeah you do okay yeah, that's yeah, well, not a vacation then yeah well a, you've got a phone in right. most cases but you have you know email and and you have texting and you watch cnbc and you stay connected you know derek and i talked uh, in email throughout the week so yeah we're connected you know and particularly like the week we just had i mean the volatility derek has just been unbelievable it's come back and you know last year we talked a lot about the lack of volatility throughout the year almost a historic and we said at the end of the year derek that that is what was going to happen is that it was going to come back and it has come back with a vengeance yeah i was reading bearers this morning and in actuality in the first quarter we've had 23 one percent moves whereas we only had eight in all of 2017 and there have only been nine years in the last 60 where that's occurred but in each case, the average annual return for the S&P was 9.6, so about average. So volatility isn't necessarily something to fear. It's, I look at it as more something we can try to take advantage of. So we look at this, and, and we keep talking about a retest of the February 8th lows. You know, when we had that, that pullback, and it's gone back and retested it. And to our listeners, is that, you know, we talk about technicians and, and what they look at. Is that a good thing that it keeps going back and retesting that? Well, it is. I mean, obviously, the, the headlines that were driving the markets this week, we had negative headlines on Monday, so we had a 500-point down day, the worst start to a quarter since 1929. And then we had another 500-point five, down day on Friday after the Trump administration uh, you know, engaged more tit-for-tat tit public negotiating. But, but basically, a 10% correction happens usually once every you know, 14 to 15 months. Uh, it was long overdue. Volatility been abnormally low, as you mentioned earlier. And, and again, you know, we're walking into earnings season, and earnings season looks pretty bright. So let's go back and talk about this retest and this 200-day. And I don't want to get too technical here, but when we look at this, we, we are somewhat comforted by the fact that it keeps going down to that number and bouncing back. And I think our listeners should want to understand that because they go, well, is it going to go down 1,000 points or 2,000 points from where it is? Or is it when we look at the S&P 500, it goes back and touches that number, which is about 2580-85, somewhere in there on the S&P. It goes back and bounces back. That gives us some comfort that at least there's, it's trying to form a bottom. Well, yeah, and I think, you know, when you're an investor, you're looking really at trends and not noise. And, and what the 200-day basically does is it just basically said a stock's been up or down the last year or so. And, and basically, we've given back some of the – we had a great January, as you recall, Dave, one of the best ever. And we've basically given a little bit of that back. 
And now I was looking at the valuation of the S&P 500, and when I'm thinking about valuation, I'm talking about the P.E. multiple. In other words, what valuation are people willing to pay on the S&P for the earnings that we forecast for 2018? And we're back to 2014 levels in terms of valuation. So as we're testing a very strong support level at the 200-day moving average, we're also at a much more reasonably priced stock market than we've seen in the last four years. So prices have come down. So let's talk about some of the news. You know, we did talk about the tweet storm that certainly caused some uh, discomfort throughout the week. But we had a payroll report that came out yesterday, and some are going to argue it was a bad payroll report. Well, that's that's kind of, that's not really true. I mean, it, it, they missed estimates. It was 103k was created in, in in the month versus expectations of 175. But there was a down, big downward revision to January. So net net, the last two months we averaged over 200,000 uh, new new jobs. Uh, wage growth, which, as frankly, what I was more interested in, was was muted at 2.7 percent. Danny, as we've talked about it, you know, one of the things that the Fed looks at is wage growth, and and the Fed will be more aggressive in raising rates if we see, see a number like 4 percent, but we're well away from that. And so these storms that happened up in the Northeast, do you think that played into part of what we saw in this report? Absolutely, we had two North Nor'easters the week of the survey. Uh, you also had a really strong. Uh, January numbers I mentioned, so a little bit of a give back. And, and, and then finally, the March number, for whatever reason, tends to be soft. The first quarter GDP, for whatever reason, tends to be softer than the other three quarters. With unemployment down, is there going to be a point when we're just not adding jobs because the, the, we can't fill those jobs? Everything I hear is people are having a difficult time finding people. True. And, you know, you would think there'd be wage growth, but then, you know, then you think about automation and robotics and all of those things. There are all sorts of things that factor into to wage growth. But, but my, our basic scenario at Annex has been that these corporate tax cuts are going to cause companies to do more CapEx. They're going to spend money on, you know, plant equipment and the like, and that's going to lead to, you know, a strong job market for, his, for the next year or so. It's Dirk Felsky, uh, Chief Investment Officer at Annex Wealth Management. Dave Spano is here as well. Know the difference. We say it all the time. It is team. It is technology. It is trust. It starts with a visit to AnnexWealth.com. Get professional help with your portfolio. This is Money Talk with Dave Spano and Mark Oswald on WTMJ. Money Talk is on the air for Saturday, April 7th. We're at uh, 414-799-1620. I can hit mortgage talk and text line. AnnexWealth.com is the website. Guys, um, are we or are we not at a trade war? Are we, uh, are, yeah. one, is one, one can't be officially declared, but, but there's always talk of a trade war. There's always talk there of a trade war. the trade war. Yeah, you know, and I think about, you know, and people have asked me that question before, and, you know, what comes to mind is this, this silly example of, you know, remember Battleship? You know, I sunk your, yes, I sunk right. your Battleship. Well, did, what are they going to do to, you know, the container ships? I mean, at, you know, the container ships are coming over here full and they're leaving empty, and, and that is that is an issue. But And I think we're going to have possibly that tweet storm is going to continue. And every time there's a tweet response from, from President Trump, there's, there's a response back from the Chinese. Is it a war yet? No, because of the fact that it's still in progress of this negotiation. And there's still an argument to be made that this is all negotiation, Derek, because of the of the intellectual property theft that is happening, and that this is just a precursor to that. Well, I mean, you know, Larry Kudlow, who you know many people probably remember from CNBC, and I knew years ago as an economist for Bear Stearns. You know, he walked back uh, some of the early early week bluster, and I think he actually did a pretty good job. He basically said these are proposals, this is a negotiation tactic. But you know, if you think about it, if you're the Chinese, you hear that as well. 
So if that's what it is, they're going to obviously respond to it in like kind. And the one advantage the president of China has that our president doesn't have is he just got appointed president for life. Our president right. is not president for life, and I'm sure that will come as a relief to some listeners. <laughs> is it true that some of the areas of, of tariffs on U.S. products are from areas of, of Trump's actual strength, so ag and... That's and exactly what he did. They attacked his political base. So 23 House members, Republican House members, are up for re-election this November, where 60% of the soybeans are produced. So obviously, if you put tariffs on soybeans and China basically exports one third of total U.S. soybean production, that could put you know downward pressure on prices or, or curtail demand. Although I'm sure the U.S. government would would probably subsidize farmers in that event. But but again, it just creates an issue and it's public headlines. And you know I've always thought the best negotiations were behind closed doors. And you know to the degree that we have these tweets, obviously we we have selected stocks we like, selected sectors we like. And we're going to try to take advantage of any kind of downward volatility in the event that we get bargain prices. And this volatility is clearly not going away because this trade war is long or, or the, you know, potential trade war is, is not happened yet. And this could be around for a long time. And this coming week as well, again, we're not in earnings season quite yet, is Zuckerberg goes to testify in front of Congress. And I'm sure they're going to try to embarrass and, and scold the guy. Yeah, he's going to talk on Tuesday and Wednesday. And, I, you know, Sheryl Sandberg, his chief operating officer, came out and basically, said something that I thought would be obvious to most Facebook users, but basically it's a free service. So in order to justify a free service, you have to make money somehow. So you sell advertising. And in order to better sell advertising, you have to have data on the people that they're trying to advertise to. So now what she was suggesting, that if you turn off your privacy settings, you'll get to pay like a monthly subscription fee to Facebook. Which is not going to make them the kind of money that they want to. Right. It would hurt their margin right, some. Right. But, again, you're talking about 2 billion customers. The scale of that firm is unbelievable. You know, between Google and Facebook, the amount of information they have, just the sheer dominance they have, I'm sure that they'll say they're sorry and it'll be long forgotten. But the margins at Facebook probably are not going to go up in the near term. What's the number of users they've got? It's in 2 billion. billion. 2 billion. And, and so, okay, so if everybody gets up in arms and they're angry and everybody says that they're going to drop Facebook, it, it, that's a blip. It's it's the tiniest amount. It won't make one difference. Well, and it, as, as you know, as a media-savvy person, they dump Facebook and go to Instagram. Guess who owns Instagram? That's right. That's right. So let's yeah. go back and talk about Mark Zuckerberg going in front of Congress this week. If they go and they pound on him, and, I, and I'm sure they're going to, and try to embarrass, embarrass him or scold him, what happens to Facebook this week? Because we looked at tech at the end of this past week, and it seemed to be leveling off. If this happens this week, we could go again and, and get tech beat up. Well, Facebook was actually trading pretty well on Friday. At one point when the Dow was down about 400, Facebook was actually up, you know, off the lows around 150 a share. It's not that expensive a stock at this point. It's only trading at 18 times earnings, and that's that's basically in line with the S&P, and it's certainly growing at a faster rate. So, you know, I just look at, you know, the tech earnings this quarter, you know, we're talking about 18% earnings per share growth in the first quarter for the SP 500. Tech is supposed to grow up north of 20, around 22. So the tech sector is very healthy right now. And I have to believe there will be buyers underneath. You know, they're going to pick off, you know, well, well valued companies that are growing at above a market rate. And the valuations in many tech names, forget the social media names, the tech names that sell things like, you know, Cisco and Intel and the like. Those valuations are reasonable. 
It's Money Talk, Annex Wealth Management. We're at Saturday, April 7th. Um, a uh, map to managing retirement is coming up. That is called Retirement Roadmap. That is one of the free seminars. You do not have to be a client of Annex. This is informational only, and it's coming up on the 10th between 6 and 7.30. There's more details at AnnexWealth.com. Watch your investments grow with Money Talk with Dave Spano and Mark Oswald on WTMJ. Derek Felsky is here. And uh, Dave Spano is here for uh, Saturday, April 7th. Guys, so the market, definitely volatility. It'll be up. It'll be way down. It'll be up. Why do I not see the same attention paid to the up days as I see the down down days? I think you can read some politics in the news reporting, Danny. When I look at this stuff and I try to read through it and say, you know, what are the economics of this? You know, we are in between earnings season right now, and that is usually when you're going to see some volatility, and it's an opportunity for those who are either short sellers or the media who are against the president to report bad things. And, 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 And as we all know, Media, is, if it leads, it bleeds, and so if they can report something bad, that is what they want to do. And why do they do that? Because that gets more attention than a good story. But you look at, you know, why is this happening? Why is this correction happening right now? And there's lots of reasons for it, and we've covered a number of them, including higher interest rates and, and things of, uh, you know, the potential trade war. But one thing that you talked about, Derek, and I want to go back to that, is you, you, we started to allude to what the Fed is doing in that higher wages – Go, you know, go higher, that that's a bad thing. I don't understand how higher wages can be a bad I mean, I do understand, but I want you to explain to our listeners why higher wages are a bad thing. Well, you know, Chairman Powell spoke yesterday and said the Fed was going to continue to be patient in, in lifting interest rates. And, and, and basically the thesis is that in order for the Fed to have the bullets during a period of an economic slowdown, in other words, to cut rates, you have to raise rates to some level, some natural level relative to inflation. And what we said for years is the Fed funds rate has been trading at below the rate of inflation. So that's a very accommodative policy stance by the Fed, and that is being unwound gradually. I mean, one of the great advantages we've had here in the United States is interest rates overseas remain incredibly low. In fact, there's still over $8 trillion in sovereign debt that is trading at below zero interest rate. So that helps to pre- keep our longer interest rates down. So it's really you know, a very low bar for many companies in terms of interest rates, and it's allowed many companies that perhaps would be challenged if rates were higher to continue to prosper. So so basically what the Fed is essentially trying to do is curtail inflationary expectations. Their target goal for C, for PP or CPI is 2%. We're still below that level. So the Fed, you know, will remain accommodative. But once we see wage growth up, up to 4 and Dave, this is one of the reasons why we own, you know, consumer discretionary stocks on a tactical basis. We believe, you know, with the tax cuts and wage growth that consumer spending ought to increase. And the U.S. economy is 70% driven by consumption. And that's a positive backdrop to the elements of the market. So let's talk about a, a, a trade uh, war, if you will, using that term in air quotes on the radio, versus the tax cut. And what is the, what are the economic benefits of each? You know, you talk about what the tax benefit could be could mean to our economy and what that means to bring money over. The numbers are, are pretty staggering. Well, the, the, you know, the tax cut is about eight hundred billion. And we're, and we're talking about trade war. Even in the worst case scenario, if you assume that the, the, they find another hundred billion in goods to t- tariff, that's essentially everything that we export from that, that everything that we um, import from China, basically. So. The, the, there would be no room for us to do more on the trade tariff front, but that would be 80 billion. So you got 80 billion there versus 800 billion in fiscal stimulus. So if you want to think about it, 
Trump picked a pretty good time to be doing this because he's got a very strong economy with, in which he's doing this, where the Chinese have a much higher debt-to-GDP ratio than the United States. So they have some, some disadvantages in, so, in that negotiation. So the tax cut plus repatriation and some of the other things could be a ten times as much as what a potential, even it goes to fruition, what a, what a trade war could look like. So you talk about policy levers, and, and so we're covering a couple of them. You talked about monetary and trade, but there are more policy levers. In fact, there's four of them, and I think they all are in, in play right now. Yeah, they are, and they're all geared towards, towards higher inflation. One thing we're expecting in the near term is a rollback of some of those regulations on Dodd-Frank that affected the banking system. And, and one of the problems with the Dodd-Frank legislation was it made it very hard for banks to actually lend money. They were asked to, you know, uh, accumulate capital, which didn't filter into the general economy. And one thing I was actually really heartened about was on Thursday, Lennar, which is one of the largest home builders in the United States, actually reported an unbelievable quarter. Their revenues were up 30% on a year-over-year basis. And one of the reasons this economy has been sluggish is we haven't seen the rebound in housing and, and housing construction that you normally see from the bottom of the cycle because of the excesses that occurred in the real estate market, Danny. So so that's another positive thing. And remember, when housing does well, there are all sorts of secondary and tertiary benefits. People buy, you know, washing machines. Sure. They buy, you know, countertops and all the rest of that stuff. They do landscaping. It has, has, has real knockdown effects in the overall economy. Derek, about 30 seconds, but um, are these tariffs, proposed tariffs, on China only? Well, see, this is the interesting thing. Initially, remember he talked about steel and aluminum, yeah. and it was going to apply That's to everyone. Started, right? but, yeah. but now, basically, it doesn't apply to anybody. It only applies to China and a few other countries. So, actually, U.S. steel, you know, a stock you would expect to do well when you're talking about tariffs, actually is down 25% from when that announcement occurred. Uh, so, so this, in this case, he's directing it more towards China, which, frankly, is, I think, the goal. Okay. Derek Felsky of Annex Wealth Management. It's Money Talk on WTMJ. News time. Let's go to the WTMJ Breaking News Center and Tony Bedock. Spreading the wealth every Saturday. Here's more Money Talk with Dave Spano and Mark Oswald on WTMJ. Money Talk for Saturday, April 7th. My name is Danny Clayton. Derek Felsky is here. Dave Spano is here. I like when Dave walks in and, and just looks at you, Derek, and says, i got a lot of questions for you. <laughs> I do have a lot of questions. You know, and one of those is this week, which was interesting, is there was an IPO, and it was not a normal uh, IPO with Spotify this week because they, they kind of went around a lot of the, the normal channels. Well, yeah, and they didn't sell new shares. So basically what Spotify did was they, they bypassed their traditional investment banking relationship. I mean, investment bankers were involved in the deal and writing all the paperwork and all the rest of it. But basically they just allowed insiders to sell shares directly to to the public. And, you know, we always look at, at IPOs. Remember, you know, when I managed a tech fund years ago, a company would come public. They'd list about 5% of their shares. Everyone would want to buy 10% of the company. No one would get it. So it was, you know, called a hot deal. It would open at a huge premium. Short sellers would try to get in front of it because of the scarcity. The stock would just keep going up and up and up. But then ultimately the lockup periods occur, which is when insiders can actually sell. Then all of a sudden you really find out what the real value of the company is worth. But I was looking at, at Spotify. It's basically trading at four times revenues. They don't make money yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, you compare that Netflix trades at eight time revenues. Google at six times. So on that basis, you could argue it's it's not terribly expensive, but it's good. it remains to be seen how they're going to monetize all the users that they have. Did, were, were people's nose out of joint within the investment community because they weren't in on this IPO, that they did it their own way? Well, Wall Street's all about greed, right? Okay. 
So, so, so explain, yes. explain to everybody what Spotify is. Spotify all. basically is a music streaming service. I think it has turned the industry on its head. Now, you might have heard about Pandora, but Spotify Spotify is a Danish company. Were, were they Swedish company? Swedish. So, Swedish company. And they basically, you go in and you, you curate your own playlist. So if you, I've got a playlist called College, and it's everything I listen to in college that Spotify has a deal with those artists and those record labels. I think it is a game changer, and this is why I was so very interested in this as a um, as an invest as a potential investment. But you said they're not making money yet. Well, they're not making money, but you know, part of the reason they're making money is they're investing, right? I mean, that was that was a trick in valuing Amazon. You know, people said, "Oh, they're not making money." Well, they were making money because they're building these enormous warehouses all over the country that are going to enable them to then you know leverage that that infrastructure and also all the money they invested in their cloud services business. I, you know, I Pandora has not been a successful no, stock. No, it's not. Um, it's a different model, though. That's just completely. Yeah, my wife. Yeah, my wife yeah. actually has Spotify, and and she loves it. I I'm technically illiterate when it comes to things like that, but but she swears by it. Dave, you in on that at all? You, you Did I get Spotify? any IPO? I know no, you love music. I, mean, yeah, no, I, I know you love music, and, yeah, the, and the you, kids do for sure. Okay, and that that's one way to get the attention. Uh, of a real-world business application is is mentioned like my sons. My sons are in their twenties and like, oh, Spotify went public. It's like, oh, really? Can we give that? They're finally interested in. Yeah, that's funny. There's many many years ago there was a, a mutual fund manager named Peter Lynch, and he ran a, f- a fund called Fidelity Magellan. And he tells the story, Derek, if tells our listeners about how he and his his kid were walking through a mall one day, and that's how he decided to buy one of the retailers. Well, right. I mean, I, I, well, he used to say, just buy what you know. You know, you go to a store if you like a product, buy that company's stock because you're not the only person that probably likes the product. I mean, he was obviously a much deeper fundamental thinker than than that, and produced tremendous performance numbers for years as a pilot of Fidelity Magellan. So let's talk about one thing uh, that we we do watch. It doesn't have a deep technical influence on how we invest, but there is this thing, and people can Google it. It's called the Fear and Greed Index, and it's a range of 0 to 100, and you know anything below, say, 15 is immense fear or extreme fear. And where are we today? We're actually sitting at nine. This is one of the, you know, when I talk with our, you know, registered, our advisors at the firm and, you know, the CSMs who work with our clients, you know, we get new money. And when when I see that fear and greed index at at this level, I don't want to be sitting on cash. I want to be building, you know, building equity positions, particularly uh, when that that number is that low. And basically what that number is, it's it's composed of six six different indicators like credit spreads, market momentum. Uh, the VIX, it, and, uh, the, the fear index, and lots of other things. And it just gives you a sense of where sentiment is. And the thing that I find really interesting. From simple investments to stock advice, back to Money Talk with Dave Spano and Mark Oswald on WTMJ. Money Talk for Saturday, April 7th, rolls on on WTMJ. All right, I'm at 60-40 in my uh, asset allocations. I'm just fine. Show's over. No, that's not true. I don't really know where you want me to go with that. No, no, no. <laughs> Asset allocation. I mean, I see this all the time. And, and if anybody pays attention to the, it's like the big mutual fund companies. I see Vanguard tries to do a lot of instruction and talks about asset allocations. And 60-40 for me is completely different than 60-40 for somebody's, you know, than you. Right. You know, when, when, we, when we build portfolios, Annex, obviously after this is a detailed conversation with our clients and, and get a sense of their risk tolerance alike, 
we, we basically build a portfolio across a variety of different asset classes to arrive at, at a, a risk target. I mean, first and foremost, when we build portfolios, we're focusing on managing risk, not necessarily return. Now, of course, in our model, we're looking at prospective returns, which helps us determine what that allocation mix should be. And I know that's probably a lot of gobbledygook people. But, but basically, historically, it was 60% in stocks, as to be simple, and 40% in bonds. But our thesis in Annex has been, really for the last couple of years, that the nature of the bond market has changed. You know, the Fed has manipulated interest rates. Overseas uh, central banks have done the same. You have many bonds overseas priced with a negative yield. So obviously those assets are not going to provide the kind of protection in a down market that you'd normally see. So Dave, for example, since the high for the market on January 26th, Yields have actually gone up 10 basis points at the same time that the Dow is now down 10%. Now, historically, that wouldn't happen. You would have actually seen yields go down and bonds go up. So the bonds would have preferred some sort of, uh, you know, a cushion to the overall portfolio performance. So what we've done in fixed income is we've actually looked at asset classes that do offer income but have different characteristics than, than pure bonds like bank loans and preferred stocks and the like, high-yield bonds uh, that have a higher coupon. So we have more protection in the event that rates go up because our coupon is bigger. And I think Danny asks an excellent question because we'll see that a lot. We'll see people come in, you know, and our, our conference rooms are filled through all our branches on a daily basis. And people will come in and say, I've gone through some type of risk assessment, be they online or with my broker or the bank. And they came in and this is what they gave me. They gave me a 60-40 uh, distribution of my asset allocation. But we look at it, and their 60-40 is significantly different than what we think a 60-40 should be in the way you know we've gone through some exercises to say, what's the risk on the equity side? What's the risk on the fixed income side? And they are not all the same. No, and like last week I met, met with a prospect with, with one of our advisors, and he basically was long large cap U.S. stocks and emerging markets, 50-50, right? Both of those indexes are 25% technology, so he got absolutely hammered last week. And he thought he was diversifying by owning emerging markets, but you got to look at the components of these indexes or, or what these active managers own in order to build a, a, a truly balanced portfolio. And, you know, that's why one of the reasons why we like to add a tactical overlay to many of our portfolios because we don't just want to own beta. In other words, we don't just want to own asset class performance. We want to manifest our views in an overweighted way in sectors or countries that we believe are attractive. And, and frankly, we've done a really nice job avoiding the potholes this year because we don't own basically any energy. We don't own any utilities. We don't own any consumer staples. And we've done, you know, we've isolated a, a good overweight a consumer discretionary and technology and financials. And, and that to me is what we, we're, that's how we earn our fee. We don't earn our fee by just indexing. You know, if you want to index, you don't need us, at least from an investment perspective. Obviously, you need us for lots of other things, whether sure. it's estate planning or tax planning, social security strategies and the rest. But, you know, from an investment team perspective, we're trying to add alpha. And it's not easy to do, but when markets are volatile, it gives us more opportunities than when they're not. 
And this does present an opportunity for traders, that's for sure. You know, I saw some uh, interesting comments over this past week, and the only people who were jubilant about what was happening were the traders. You know, they, they showed some guys at CNBC, and they went on the floor. These guys were, you know, jumping up and down. Well, and Warren Buffett always says he loves it when the market goes down because he's able to buy businesses at a better price. I mean, who wants to buy a business at an expensive price? You'd much rather buy a business when it's on sale. So let's talk, uh, let's switch, to, you talked about tech for a second, and we talked about what's happening with Zuckerberg this week, but there's obviously FANG stocks, which uh, which is an acronym for Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, and uh, Google, and we talk about, you know, where are they today, and are the FANGs done, and I've read a lot of articles over the past week that said, oh, are the FANGs done at this point? I, well, I don't think they're done at all. I mean, they might not be good stocks only because I think a lot of institutional managers are loaded to the gills with those five companies because they perform so well. In fact, that's one of the dangers that we often talk about with passive investing is, you know, basically when you buy a passive index, 90% of the indexes out there, ETFs included, are market cap weighted. So essentially you're buying a momentum strategy, right? Because the bigger explain, explain what market weighted is. Market cap weighted. So you'll take, let's say you have the S&P 500, for example. You have 500 companies, and the weighting is reflective of the market cap of the company. So right now, Apple is the largest component of the S&P 500. I think the market cap is somewhere around 700 uh, billion. And so basically it's about a 4% weighting in the S&P 500, whereas General Electric, which used to be a large company, is a very small weighting because its market cap is down considerably. But but the key here is in order for a company to have a big weighting, it has to be really successful. It has to have grown. It has to have products that are innovative. So right now you've got a lot of tech companies and a lot of indexes that are very large weighting. So the S&P is now 25% tech. 14, 15% financials. So obviously those two sectors matter a lot in terms of performance. And what I like about active managers is they're not going to just sit there and put 25% of the portfolio in tech and 15% of financials. If that's what they do, they don't deserve a fee. They're going to actually go out there and try to find small companies that will become big, not big companies that already are. It's uh, Money Talk, Annex Wealth Management. That is Derek Felsky of Annex Wealth Management. Dave Spano is here as well. We'll be back in a bit at WTMJ. Never get less than your money's worth. This is Money Talk with Dave Spano and Mark Oswald on WTMJ. Money Talk on the air for Saturday, April 7th. Guys, I'm just going to ask you just real quick. Um, the the spat between the president and Amazon, does it matter? Will it matter? Well, it does matter. It matters to Amazon, at least in the short term. And I think it, it matters to Amazon a lot because, you know, there was this huge issue that, in fact, the city of Milwaukee was part of it as well, is where is Amazon going to put their second headquarters? And, you know, there are all kinds of towns that have really made a big push. Milwaukee, of course, was eliminated from that. But places like Chicago and Austin and Washington, D.C. have also have all put a big step forward. And it seems like, at least uh, by the people that, that we're talking to, seems like it could go to Washington, D.C., and the reason why is because they need to lobby. They need to be closer mm. to where the action is, and that's that's kind of an interesting way to look at it, but uh, it's almost uh, even money at this point. That's where it ends up. Yeah, I don't, I don't think you want to be on the president's bad side. I mean, you think about what happened. He tried to buy the Buffalo Bills, and all of a sudden he's going after the NFL, and you know, he obviously doesn't like what the editorial pages in the Washington Post say about him, and obviously Jeff Bezos owns that company as well. But, the, you know, the, from a legal standpoint, from what I've been able to glean, Amazon really is not a monopolist in the traditional sense. However, 
the power that they exert across so many different verticals is enormous. But the thing about Amazon is they really don't make that much money in retail. Where they make their money is in web services. Their margins are like 35% operating margins, whereas in, on the retail side, they're 2.9. So in some ways, the retail and, and, and prime are just essentially lost leaders for that web services business. You know, we look at uh, we're looking at the calendar now, and here we are. This week is is probably going to be an interesting week as well. But then, following that, is the beginning of earnings season, something that we've looked for that we look forward to, and particularly this earnings season because the numbers are really astounding. Yeah, I think this this earnings season will be the best earnings season we've seen since the bottom in March of 2009. We're looking at, or analysts are looking for 18% growth. We think that number will probably come in more like 21 because they typically lowball. But the more important thing, and this is something I really want our listeners to think about, in the five weeks before a company reports, you basically cannot do share buybacks and make any kind of dividend announcements. You can't do anything in the two days subsequent to your report, but after that you can. And given repatriation, given the corporate tax cuts, given the high levels of cash that companies have, we expect a lot of dividend hikes in the, in the late April to May period. We expect a lot of stock buyback announcements because while some of this money will go towards building out businesses and hiring people and the like, some will also go towards you know stock repurchases, which have actually been a very big contributor to the, the rise in the S&P 500 for the last eight years. When when do these things start rolling? When, when do we start to see the first? Well, I think the, the, the first big earnings reports of the major banks, that's okay. on April 13th. So, okay. you know, starting in the middle, next week. Okay. So with Zuckerberg testifies Tuesday, Wednesday, earnings start uh, apace at that, at, at that, at yeah, that time. But frame. the next week they start to roll in, but then it's the following week that they start to pick up. And that's probably, and you talked about earnings growth, and we've studied this in earnings growth. Uh, Derek, in the percentage of return of the market seem to have moved in lockstep for over the, a number of decades. Yeah, they always say money follows earnings. So if you've, if you've listened to the show and, and you heard, we heard something smart, at, at least when Derek was talking, right? Uh, we're we're going to do a couple of things, uh, and one of them is coming up is this roadmap to retirement, and that is coming up this week in our Mequon office, and we, we walk through. It's a good presentation. We get It's interactive. We get to talk to those uh, some of our listeners who are listening today who want to come and see us in our Mequon office. If you're interested in doing that, you can go to our website, AnnexWealth.com. I know, Danny, this is your line right here, but <laughs> but I think if people can go to that, we'll be there. We'll make this presentation. It'll be an opportunity to talk about where you are today and where you want to be. Are you on the right track to retirement? And that is probably the, the question that we get most often. This is what I have. What am I doing with it? How is it tied into my, my taxes? How is it t- tied into my estate plan? What is my asset allocation like? And how much can I live on? These are all the things that we will address uh, in that presentation. So if you're interested, this coming week, April 10th, in our Mequon office, and that is the Roadmap to Retirement. Gotcha. Well, folks, as you've listened to the show today, if you've heard this, and Derek, a lot of times when he's, he's I'm about two steps behind, but I'm, I'm learning every single time. But if you, you listen to what they're saying, it's like, you know what, I like the way these people think. Uh, this sounds like the way that I would like to approach my investments. 
it's really as easy as, as calling 262-786-6363 and getting that portfolio analysis. At least you can sign up for um, the Axiom, which is the weekly newsletter, and that will arrive at about the time we're watching the final round of the Masters. So there you go. So yeah, I'm excited, aren't you? <laughs> yes, I am. It's going to be interesting. This is this would be the golf time uh, of the year. So, guys, appreciate the show. Thank you very much. Our Peace pleasure. Out. Thank Money you. Talk, Annex Wealth Management, Derek Felsky stopping in, and uh, Dave Spano as well. AnnexWealth.com. Advice and opinions expressed during Money Talk are solely that of the hosts or guests of Annex Wealth Management and not WTMJ Radio or Scripps Media Incorporated.